0: From the advertising media capital of the world, New Milford, Connecticut. Wherever that is. This is Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson, a bi weekly ish podcast about all things automotive marketing. Now, here's your host, Matt Wilson. Oh, yes. Hello. Welcome to Molsey Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson, Friday mornings, live. Ah, it's like like my old radio days. Coming to you live. Anyway, welcome. Okay, so here's how we're going to roll this out. On Friday mornings, we'll do Multi Automotive Marketing, live. I'll have a different co-host every Friday and we'll talk about kind of what's trending in the automotive industry, what's going on, what people are talking about, what the hot topics are. And then uh, we'll put it out as a podcast that day. We'll upload it to um, the interweb that day. So if you're not watching live on either Facebook, YouTube, YouTube, Twitch, whatever that is, uh, Daily Motion, Periscope. If people still use Periscope, I don't really know, then you can catch it as a podcast uh, later on. So, anyway, thanks for joining us. Uh, presented by Silverback Advertising, by the way. And my co host this week is uh, the digital marketing manager at Nielsen Automotive Group. His name is Colin Karasquilla. I still can't pronounce it. Karasquilla. Karasquilla.
1: Close. Squill. What? G-I-F. And. It's me again, everyone. I hope you're excited to see Colin Carasquillo. yours truly, uh, on Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson, the live edition, live from the Nielsen Automotive Group newsroom.
0: <laughs> oh, the Nielsen Automotive Group newsroom. I like it. I like it. Well, thanks for joining me again. I appreciate it. And uh, we got lots to talk about. We've been planning uh, some topics to talk about uh, this week. It's uh, fun to be live, so thanks to everybody who is watching. If you want to uh, leave a comment or you have something you want to say, you can leave us a comment on uh, Facebook. Colin, I believe, is monitoring uh, some of those. Although they're supposed to come oh, into my not. little dashboard here, but I don't really know. Uh, they don't seem to do that. Or you can text text us or call in, and the number is on the bottom of the screen right there, 203 8305. Okay. So first thing we want to talk about today is some new logos that came out in the automotive industry. Of course, like most of my news, I get it all on, uh, on the internets and I saw this on, uh, LinkedIn. So these are the new, uh, logos that came out Two OEMs coming out with new logos this week, BMW and Nissan, or was this last week? I think last week. So Nissan came out with theirs on like Monday or Tuesday, and uh I saw it and was like, wow, it's they're going for the um like the minimalist look, right? And then BMW a couple days uh a couple days after that. So before we give our thoughts on that, let me let's see what the people are thinking, all right? Let me read some comments for some people. Uh, a lot of comments on both of them on um, on my LinkedIn page. A uh, LinkedIn page. A lot of people saying, uh, you know, oh, okay, simple, uh, minimalist. Uh, this person says not loving it, too distracting, meaning it could be used for an eye or IQ test, and much like a cartoon. That's someone's uh, opinion on the Nissan logo. Someone else says z z right, like sleeping.
1: You're sleeping. There you go. I'm getting.
0: Uh, let's see. Weak but clean and futuristic. And then uh, my buddy, Dave, who works for a Nissan franchise, uh, gave it the, uh, vomit emoji. So I don't think he's a huge, a huge fan for me. I don't know. It looks a little bit like, you know, if you've ever seen a TV commercial from an OEM that, um, has like a concept car and like, imagine you're watching a, a commercial. It's like a concept car and the, and the it's a garage door, opens up and there's like led sharp led lighting on the grill of the car that like comes on this is like the kind of logo that you would see on the front of it looks like a concept car logo um that being said though man the old logo you know the same with bmw they have that like 3d emblem like that stroke effect around it which is kind of like late 90s uh i don't know i kind of think i might like it what do you think
1: Yeah. So, I mean, for me, uh, the Nissan logo, that's what we'll focus on first. I believe I did comment on that post when you first put it out there. And I think what Nissan's trying to do on this one, the flat icon is obviously in, uh, you see BMW did the same thing. So for all the listeners out there, flat icon is basically just that two dimensional has no, uh, you know, uh, shadowing or anything like that to make it look like it has a three-dimensional effect. So flat icon, is it back in? Could be. It looks like that uh, with these OEMs here. With Nissan, to me, it almost looks like they're stepping up into uh, or to try to look like a higher end brand. Now, I think that that's very interesting because Nissan, it's a household name, you know, it's an import vehicle, but they sell a lot of cars, usually up there with Toyota, Honda, etc. But to me, are they trying to make a play to get a little higher end? Who knows? Yeah,
0: it could be. I mean, maybe that's the that's the look they're going for. It seems like the kind of logo, like almost like a, like you like a few, like maybe higher end, but like a futuristic, like Tesla. Like I can see this going on yeah. the um, going on the nose of the Nissan Leaf, the Nissan electric vehicle. Um, I don't know. I like it, although the old one. You know, a lot of sign people who I used to use for signage and merchandising call it the hamburger. Like, oh, the hamburger is the new one still hamburger or is it like I don't think it looks like a hamburger anymore.
1: I think they definitely gained. uh, Like you said, it's futuristic. It does look like it belongs on a concept car. Doesn't look like a hamburger. Um, You know, I do see that now on the old logo, though, how you could absolutely imagine that. But for me, I do. I like it. Um, very reminiscent of a clean, you know, futuristic look. And I think that that's good for Nissan. You want to switch over to BMW? Cause I think that's a different story. Yeah, let's do it.
0: <laughs> let's do Beamer. Want well, me to read some of the Beamer comments first. Let's, let's read some of the Beamer comments. Uh, let's see. Um, Andy says, is that actually for real? Oh my, no thanks. Uh, Sarah says awful design. Stick with the original. Uh, Linda who works for an agency down in Florida. I love Linda. She says, uh, everyone has time on their hands with COVID. So why not mess with your logo? Not feeling this (laughs) one though. Now the Nissan logo looks like a fabulous redesign. (laughs) Colin, you said, Oh no, this one is bad with 20 D's. And my favorite comment comes from Jessica. She said, it looks like a stove knob, (laughs) (laughs) which I love. I, I don't yeah I mean the B, the BMW BMW is iconic for their logo and the kidney grills which I was never a huge fan of the kidney grills but their logo is iconic and I, the the new one looks a little I don't know that that's a for the people who are watching uh, and can see it um, the outer ring or the ring that's inside the gray between the gray and the blue is transparent so whatever color the logos on Will show up there. So you know, if it's on black, that 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 circle is black. Um, And I don't know. I think it's too. I I think it's too basic.
1: I would agree. I think you know, when you think BMW, you really do. You think this nice brand of vehicle, high end luxury car, and uh, that old logo, the ye old logo, I think (laughs) is definitely more reminiscent or or speaks to that right being a higher end vehicle as opposed to the new logo. Uh, which honestly, I mean, I'm sorry, BMW, I love you guys, but it almost looks like I was working in in Photoshop or or PowerPoint for that matter and uh, decided to just come up with something that was very basic. Yeah. Um, Listen, people said the same thing when Instagram had launched their new logo with the uh, color, you know, swirl or fade or whatever you want to call that. Uh, I think people literally said that they ragged on it, saying, Hey, remember when we were in you know, I'm a millennial. Remember when we were in computer class and you were able to go in and work and paint and they had that very basic, almost the same exact color transition and people ragged on Instagram for that. But look, I mean, it, obviously it's it stuck. And so we'll see what happens. Uh, you did allude to the fact though, that it is a transparent background. Mm-hmm. And so that's the same thing for both of these redesigns. Now there obviously is a method to the madness. So Matt and I looked at you know, the logos and why the companies had essentially done that. And both uh, companies did that because they're preparing for the digital age. Um, So what that means to me is, you know, okay, they see that they have to take the logo and they have to utilize that logo consistently in their marketing and branding across different platforms, different mediums, different media. And with that, this will allow them to consistently drop, that logo in any one of those medias and essentially have that same effect. I mean, would you agree with that? Or do you think that that's beneficial Matt?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, like, if you look at Nissan, they have, and I just use Nissan as an example because I used to have uh, marketing for a bunch of Nissan stores. So I'm more familiar with the brand. Um, and from a digital standpoint, Nissan's always swapping out uh, creatives in terms of background colors and corner logos. And depending on which model, um, uh, their advertising or, or, or where they're putting it, whether they're putting it on a TV commercial or they're putting it on uh, socials or, um, you know, uh, sponsorship graphics on Nissan Stadium in Tennessee. Uh, and red, that Nissan red um, is a big color for them. Their dealerships have those on their signage. And this looks pretty good on that red on their socials. I was looking at it this morning. They, they have it with the red background. I think it looks pretty good. I think, yeah, if they're preparing it, if they're, you know, air quotes, digital age, um, I think it's all right. I do agree, though. BMW, if I go downstairs and uh, stare at my uh, LG stove, it it looks like the stove thing.
1: Well, maybe that's it. Maybe they're making people uh, people comfortable with – it's a household – brands. All right. Yeah, I don't right. Know. So if it's in your house. You're comfortable with the stove. Maybe they're trying to make BMW this household, uh, household brand. That one I'm not so sold on. I do like the Nissan one. Like you said, uh, it is important to note that on BMW, they're not going to be changing. This was just from an article in automotive news, mm-hmm. shout out automotive news, both Matt and I, uh, you know, tune in to your podcast and read all your information. Um, uh, with that, a representative from BMW stated that they're not going to change the logo on the vehicles so don't be afraid that your BMW in the future should you consider purchasing one's going to have that logo on it. Uh, they're going to keep the standard BMW logo oh, that like I said it's just for their marketing purposes and, and consistency across the marketing message. But even that, that's very interesting, Matt, because now you're going to see one logo on a car and you're going to see this other logo on their advertising. I I don't know. That might, uh, you know, backfire, essentially. I did
0: notice just from some searches this morning that Nissan went all in very quickly on the logo. All their socials are changed. If you look at, there's a ton up, ton more articles and press about it out there. And the BMW one seems to be like, in some spots you see the old logo and some spots, the new logo, it seems to be getting less press. I don't know. It just seems a little bit less like here it is. And we're committed to it than Nissan, which makes it, you know, like that day last week, you couldn't find the the current logo anywhere, but I wonder what Nissan's going to do with the grills of their cars. Like I, we have a couple of Nissans cause I used to work for a Nissan group and the Nissan logo on the nose of the cars looks really good. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like the way it's, it, you know, it sticks out on the grills of, of the Murano and rogue and it looks really nice. And this logo kind of has that flat, you know, the logo on the nose now has got the 3d it looks, it looks pretty cool. Right. So I wonder if Nissan's going to change the grills. I couldn't, I couldn't find any details on that. Um, And if they do, is it going to be flat or is it going to be, you know, a 3D like emblem sticking off the front of the car? I'm curious. So I have
1: something something here. Uh, This is for car and driver. So this is the Nissan logo that we're discussing. Uh, Nissan says it began the redesign process in 2017 with the aim to make the new logo, quote unquote, thin, light and flexible. Okay. Mm -hmm. It looks like that. Another requirement, here you go, was to make it look good when illuminated on future EV models, so electric vehicle models, uh, which will have 20 LEDs uh, lighting up the Nissan logo on the front of the car. So with that, I mean, what does that make you think? It makes me think that they're going to put it actually in the grill of the vehicle instead of maybe on top of the car. Uh, I mean, it's it's in the grill now, you mentioned, right? Uh, Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's in the middle of the grill.
1: So it's in the middle of the grill. So it sounds like they're going to still do it in the middle of the grill, but now that they're going to add these uh, LED lights that will make it glow. You know, a brand, another brand, that high-end brand that does that, which I think a lot of people love the fact that they do it, Mercedes has their glowing emblem. And sometimes I will tell you, you see those out on the road at night, it's probably one of the coolest things to see, Uh, you know, that glowing emblem. So, This this is interesting. I think that this could definitely make a uh, make a statement for for Nissan and we'll only be able to see where it goes from here. So all right.
0: Another big uh, another big happening. Was this last week or this week? Now, I can't remember. I'm terrible with dates, but obviously it's
1: it's it's all all the the same. day. I'm
0: like, uh, what's today? Is today Friday? I think today's Friday. Uh, the new Bronco launch has been all the talk of the industry. My, uh, you know, I'm a account director at an agency and it was all over our Slack channel and talking about what's going on the day after it happened. Um, you know, uh, I was reading an article about the, a couple days before it happened, I was reading an article, an article about, um, the Disney takeover, which I had it written down here. So oh, here we go. Um, about some of the marketing they did for the Bronco launch. And one of the things I thought was pretty cool is they did a uh, roadblock, an advertising roadblock across uh, all the Disney properties on television. So ABC, ESPN, and National Geographic. And the first commercial break uh, of 8 p.m. hour on all those networks, they ran a uh, basically a kind of a, a cinematic-type commercial promoting – The new Bronco, which has, you know, been done before in terms of the roadblocks, but across all the Disney properties or those Disney properties, I thought was was pretty cool. A lot of coordination probably went into the trafficking of those, uh, you know, vignettes through those um, through those TV um, stations. And it was kind of cool how they used because they were all different creative too. like on ABC. They used the country guy, Kip Moore. I don't know if you're a country music fan, but I like country. Uh,
1: huh. Well, I'm not. Is this a deal breaker? He's going to kick me off the uh, shelf. That's all right. To, yeah, hold on. Let, me just, let, me, let, me, just, let, let me just disconnect me you.
0: <laughs> uh, so they had Kit Moore do that. Um, uh, ESPN used a professional climber, Brooke Rabuto, 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 Rabuto uh, for theirs. And then um, they used uh, the same director who did Free Solo to do the um, National Geographic one. So they all had sort of a different... Uh, look, different appeal to the people who may be watching that channel, and I thought that was really core, cool coordination, a really good way to launch an iconic vehicle uh, that's coming back. Uh, one thing I did notice from you know looking around and reading articles and poking around is there's like a ton of different versions, trim levels, different kinds of grills that looked like in the pictures I was looking at. You've got a Ford dealership in your group, um, so you have a unique perspective on what customer response or in-store, you know, uh, management response was to this vehicle. What are your thoughts on uh, what it looks like, and what is the, you know, what has the chatter been like so far?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, you know your, your statement that you have on here, new Ford Bronco is fire. Uh, I think it's just that. I will say you know let's kind of look at this the good, the bad, and the ugly. So in that space right let's talk about those types of vehicles you really only have the Jeep Wrangler and you have the Toyota uh, FJ Cruiser so I don't even know I'm sorry Toyota if a lot of people no. consider the FJ Cruiser as, as that type of vehicle but in theory it, it would be toe-to-toe or, or if people were looking in the market Jeep Wrangler, FJ Cruiser enter the new contender the Ford Bronco. I think Ford did a really nice job with the Bronco, Uh, they definitely took some stylistic pieces and moments from the original Bronco and they put them in to the new Bronco. There are three different trim levels, you know, you have the four-door, the two-door, and then the sport version. Um, I think for Ford, this is going to be Not that the brand's gone anywhere but ford's been having some tough times and that's all you know public you can find all that information uh i think this is going to be awesome uh to really prove a rivalry or show the rivalry between jeep and and ford and um in order to answer your question just about what the engagement was like i mean let's look at this launch i think uh the sites the ford sites the reservation links actually crashed yeah. So you know you know some inside information so I really can't get you know too much into that and that's from Ford right so to the the actual dealerships but you know I think there was something like 7,000 and I just want to confirm that information so don't hold me to it but I think there were 7,000 some odd reservations for the vehicle um, and so much so or so much traffic that those reservation links crash. Now everything should be fine But I do believe that the reservations for the uh, first edition, so Ford Bronco first edition, are completely sold out. So they have no more of those, but you can go and you can uh, get the sport and other trim levels still should you choose. Um, I actually pulled something up here that shows engagement. This is from the Facebook group that you and I are part of, the Facebook Auto Marketing Collective. So shout out the Facebook Auto Marketing Collective headed up by uh, Bob Lanham who's the head of automotive retail at Facebook and and his cohorts. So uh, someone had posted in the group three pictures from Ford Motor Company and these are screenshots of the social media posts and uh, on all three of these one of them has 21,000 you know engagements or reactions uh, no negative engagements on here thumbs up hearts and wows with 8,000 comments 21,000 shares and 1.8 million views. Wow. Uh, The next one down the line has uh, 5.5,000 reactions, 777 comments with 716 shares. And the last one is 27,000 reactions, 8.9,000 comments and 33,000 shares. So uh, overall, I think it did really well. We have, I think, 35 reservations that we received and we're in a rural market. Wow, that's good though. That's a really good number. That's, yeah, for, for a vehicle that doesn't come out until 2021, which, yeah. you know, it's going to be rolling out soon, cars, manufacturers, a little funny how they roll things out in the 2020 year, we'll, you'll get 2021s, um, but yeah, I think that, that did very well for us. So.
0: Let's take a call on this, who's this?
1: Hi, this is Dave Stoley, Matt.
2: Oh, hello, David, how are you, buddy? I am excellent. I feel like I had the time in here with the Bronco Wrangler debate.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, well You, but Dave, I, I know Dave, everybody. he's uh, We work in the industry. We used to work together and, and uh, we're uh, old buddies. And I know you're a Wrangler owner. So give us your thoughts.
2: All right. So here's one of the things that I wanted to look at was the percentage of increase in MSRP from 1995 to 2021. Because if you look at a Wrangler Sahara in two, in 1995, MSRP was $15,983, wow. okay? That same MSRP right now, equipped similarly is over $50,000. So you're talking about a 300% increase. If you look at a Bronco Eddie Bauer edition, 1995, $24,000 fully equipped. That's a 200% increase, basically, of what you're getting into now, if you're looking at the original edition. So, I mean, I don't know how many other people looked at the data from that standpoint, but from my standpoint, Ford did a great job with the rollout on this, trying to manage cost versus marketing versus development and then actual rollout.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a good point. I, I think, um, you know, you'll know better. Well, you both know better is the brand loyalty or the enthusiast level there for Bronco that there is for Wrangler, right? Wrangler is, um, Bronco is too, but I'm just talking about Wrangler, iconic brand. They got the wave thing, uh, you know, I know when I was in high school, you know, every all the girls in class, you know, they all had a Wrangler, whether they bought it or their parents bought it or whatever. They're all over the place. People restore them. Old school Wranglers are hot. New Wranglers. Jeep is such a thing. And, I, you know, I know it more because I used to we used to be Jeep people. My wife and I have, have had Jeeps before. Uh, that being said, the dude who lives across the street from me restores old Broncos. So I'm getting a taste of like, OK, well, that that is a thing, too, is the Bronco loyalty. As high as the Wrangler loyalty, and are people, um, is is the price gonna be, is the price a a roadblock for that? Colin?
1: Uh, So, I mean, for me, I think you do have a following that, you know, has laid dormant, let's say, for a couple years. I mean, this vehicle did have a cult following. I know O.J. Simpson O.J. Simpson was a big fan. So, you know, with, with that, I will say, listen, Jeep Wrangler's been around for a very long time. Uh, Ford Bronco, you know, was around. It went away. That buzz that's now surrounded it as it's coming back. I think you will have people that will absolutely go as crazy for the Ford Bronco or have gone as crazy for the Ford Bronco as they do the Jeep Wrangler. Um, but really, only time will tell. I mean, we will know based upon... The total number of reservations, the total number that actually make it to dealer's lots and how many are sold, whether or not it's going to hold the candle to what Jeep, uh, the Jeep brand's been doing and Jeep Wrangler. Um, price, though, Dave, that's a very awesome point. You know, I'm really not a numbers guy unless it's, you know, Google Analytics and all that geeky stuff. But to hear the MSRP comparison and how that's changed over the years, do I believe that pricing, to answer your second question as well, Matt, will play a factor into it. I think it's one of those things that if people want it, uh, they're going to go out and get it. And Now, whether or not that buzz around the Bronco, let's say, dies off, uh, I don't know yet. Now, Jeep Wrangler will have that consistent following, those people that will always buy a Jeep. They're not cheap vehicles, and so people are still buying them. Uh, With that stated, I think a lot of it's going to come down to, sure, a mix of price but customer experience, what happens, and then obviously the, the brand image um, you know, so Dave, would you agree if you're still on the line
2: with us? Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and I'll leave you guys kind of with a statement of thought. I happen to be a Jeep Wrangler owner. I happen to also be someone who's placed an order for a Bronco. Um, okay. I happen to also be in the business working for another manufacturer. So, you know, I don't know where I fall in as far as the demographics of the guy that owns that car, but I can tell you this. I think a lot of manufacturers that build, whether it's an FJ Cruiser, whether it's a Jeep Wrangler, whether it's a Nissan Pathfinder, whatever the vehicle may be, when it goes through the progression and grows into a more family-friendly technological vehicle, a la the new Chevy Blazer versus what a K5 Blazer used to be, you're going to either lose some people or you're going to gain some traditionalists who... who who followed that vehicle, you know, throughout their life. So it will be interesting to me from what I've seen on the new Bronco, they stuck to the roots. It is still a traditional vehicle, but can also balance out as a family vehicle. Whereas the new Wrangler has gone, it's still a Wrangler. It's still rugged, but is also uh, a lot more, the design features on the interior are a lot less rugged and a lot more Jeep grand Cherokee. So it'll be interesting to see over the next three years of the cycle of both those vehicles. If it does pull people from the Wrangler market that were maybe out there from an FJ cruiser or that were looking for a new vehicle and they needed the four door to put their kids in, but they didn't want all of the creature comforts and they didn't want to feel like they were in like a, you know, a Pacifica.
0: Can we all agree that the, uh, the FJ looks like a, a a moon Rover vehicle.
1: Listen. I, I don't know. <laughs> go, go oh. ahead, Dave. <laughs> what? I,
2: I'm going to leave the moon rover vehicle alone, Matthew. But I mean, I would agree it kind of stands as a
1: as a separate entity from a Wrangler or a Bronco. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Dave. I, I appreciate that. you I think checking that in. That's a very safe statement. Uh, you know, Dave. Uh, you know, I don't want to throw dirt on any brands. I
0: can't. I, I can't do that. I oh, I see. Brands. I oh, see. I'm, I see. I'm going to be the controversial one in this podcast. Thank I get God. it. Listen, that I don't, pop, don't care. Bad
1: cop, good cop.
0: Thank you, Dave, uh, for calling in and giving his opinion. We appreciate it. Colin, let's take a That's commercial good. break.
1: Sounds
0: good. Hold on. Let me just take a sip of my Stoke. Hashtag STOK. They're not the commercial, though. They're not the sponsorship. Although, we'll be going for a, uh, a lifetime Stoke sponsorship uh, at some point. All right. So mostly automotive marketing with Matt Wilson is brought to you by Silverback Advertising. Silverback Advertising does OTT a little different, right? OTT, connected TV, Silverback solution called Data Fusion Marketing is a little bit different because it's more than just vanity metrics. Sure, impressions, reach, frequency, those are all pretty cool. But actual attribution is what us car dealers are looking for, right? You can get actual attribution on top of those vanity metrics. You get calls, form fills. uh, What else? Credit apps phone calls, and footfall traffic. They saw your ad on your smart on their smart TV. They heard you on Spotify. They got a display ad on the weather app, and then they walked into your showroom. So pretty cool. For more information on Data Fusion Marketing, a true omni-channel marketing solution, go to silverbackadvertising.com. That is silverbackadvertising.com. How do we think it's going so far? Is everybody digging it? Let's bring Colin back in here. Hello, sir.
1: I'm digging it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head, by the way, with your little Silverback ad there that, uh, you know, we are dealers are looking for attribution and they're looking for those key metrics, which you uh, outlined. So for anyone listening, if you're interested in actually knowing what your omni-channel marketing buys get you, then check out Silverback advertising. I think that that's that's great. Look
0: at Colin coming in on a commercial read. Good job, buddy. You're like an old pro
1: listen, I've I've done enough of these with you now. I think I can can do it. I think I can do it. I'm going to
0: send you a bottle of Stoke. I need to see you chugging some Stoke during this. Stoke cold brew is fantastic. Get it at your grocery, your local grocery store, wherever groceries are sold. This is my second one of the day and I'm going to be all stoked up, man.
1: All stoked up. Hashtag all stoked up. Everything's STOK when you're drinking Stoke. I (laughs) like that one. Stoke, if you're listening, that's good stuff. You guys should take that for your marketing. But of course, give Matt credit and royalties and all that. Yes, please. Please. (laughs) So actually, here's something very interesting. I love that Dave had called in. So thanks, Dave, if you're still listening. And uh, with that, you had mentioned something that I thought would be a great segue into our next segment if you wanna talk about this. If not, you're the leader of this show. You can say, Colin, no, I don't wanna talk about it. But you had mentioned brand loyalty. And you had mentioned brand loyalty between the Jeep Wrangler customer and perhaps uh, the Ford Bronco customer as the Ford Bronco is rolled out and people start getting it in 2021. Uh, Switching gears though, with brand loyalty, Subaru has actually—I uh, believe—it's the highest level of brand loyalty amongst its customers, and I think the number 16.5 percent uh, in terms of people that have purchased the Subaru will return to buy or lease another 60%. Subaru. 605 percent of its customers.
0: Wow, that's high. I can't. Do you think any other OEM comes close to that?
1: Well, so in the article I have here, this is from CNET, so shout out to CNET. Subaru, barely, this is their their wording here, barely squeezes into the top spot. So Toyota has 60.3%. Really? Yeah. Honda has 587 And here we go. This is a very interesting one. Ram right? So Jeep, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, although not the Jeep product, Ram, which is one of the Fiat Chrysler automobiles brands are now the newly minted Stellantis with their merger. Uh, Ram is 57.3%. And Ford, which rounds out the top five, has a 54.3% brand loyalty. And those are J.D. power numbers. Those are not numbers that I make up. You guys can go fact check that. Uh, there's no fake news here.
0: <laughs> anybody Anybody missing from that list that you're surprised about?
1: Anyone missing from this list? Let's see. Uh, so you want me to just run down the real list real quick? Yeah, do you have it? I, I do. I have the list here. This is very interesting. So we had named the top five. So after that, you have Kia, Chevrolet, Hyundai, Nissan, Volkswagen, Jeep. That's interesting. Jeep's only at only I say, 41%. I don't know what really goes into building brand loyalty, but I thought that would be higher. Definitely. And I'm not biased because we have, you know, three G Chrysler, Dodge, Ram stores, Uh, Mazda, GMC, Buick, Mitsubishi, Mini, Dodge, Chrysler, Fiat. And what's over here? Uh, Oh, these are the high-end vehicles. So that's, that's the mass market branding. Okay. Right. Luxury branding. Oh, it's a separate list. Yeah. Lexus leads luxury, uh, followed by Mercedes Benz, BMW, Porsche, Audi, Land Rover, Acura, Volvo, Lincoln, Cadillac, Maserati, infinity and Jaguar.
0: If I had to make the list on my own and we'll go non luxury, I would have gone without even thinking about it. Subaru, Jeep, Ford, Chevy, because Subaru people are crazy, especially here not crazy, but, uh, you know, crazy, no, loyal, especially especially here in the Northeast. We're both in the Northeast. Uh, Jeep people are Jeep people. I, I, we're, I'm Jeep people. I can't wait to get back to a Jeep. Um, Ford F-150 people are Ford F-150 people. That is the truck they drive, truck after truck after truck. And then I would have thought Chevy from the truck perspective would have been after that. So I'm a little bit, I'm pretty surprised that Toyota is so far up on the list.
1: You know, that's, that's very interesting because I would probably have to agree with you in terms of your list just because you do look at sales and, you know, in those segments, we know the SUV uh, and CUV as well as pickup trucks are what's selling in the market now. And yeah, those, those number one spots are usually uh, Ram, Ford, Chevy, or I believe maybe it's Ram, Chevy, Ford. They mix a flip-flop every so often, but um, I would think that those brands, and Jeep as well, as you mentioned, would be higher up there. So, I mean, it's very interesting. Let's talk about it, though. Why do you think that those brands have such a high level of brand loyalty? I mean, is it as simple as what you said? I have in my notes here and a little quote. You know, a Subaru
0: owner is a Subaru owner. Yeah. Subaru Subaru owners name their cars, I feel like. Those are the people who, they get Subaru after Subaru. I mean, here in the Northeast, you know, it has a lot to do with uh, the all-wheel drive aspect of it. I feel like people who want all-wheel drive, who don't want a um, SUV, even though a lot of other manufacturers are rolling out all wheel drive sedans. Now Subaru comes to mind first because they were the ones who had our whole all wheel, our whole lineup is all wheel drive uh, early on from the beginning. And so I think there's that recognition of, Oh, I want all wheel drive. I don't want an SUV. I got to get a Subaru. And then once they get it, they love it. They have either a great experience with the car or a great experience with the dealer they buy it from. And then that's it. They're in the Subaru family. Um, I'm wondering if it's like that, if you broke this down by region of the country, would it be, would it be the same everywhere? I mean, we're in the Northeast bubble. And so, you know, everyone on my block has an SUV where I live, right? We live at high elevation in the Northwest corner of Connecticut. When it snows in town, we get two extra inches where I live, right? So everyone has an an SUV. But in the Northeast, Everyone's got an all wheel drive vehicle. A lot, most people, a lot of people either have one or aspire to have one. But in the southeast or in you know the Midwest, it doesn't matter as much. Do people go out and buy a sedan because it's all wheel drive? I wonder if the loyalty carries across the country as it does here.
1: You know what? That's a really great question. And I wonder if there's some follow-up research that I can do to get you an yeah, answer. Definitely. You or, can do that. Yeah. Cause I'm not
0: doing the follow-up research.
1: Yeah, and that's, what, <laughs> that's what happens when you host the show and it actually has your name on it. You just get to sit there and look pretty yeah, and then yeah. they have to do all the research. I'm, having, I'm having
0: a good hair day today. I must so say. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, sorry.
1: Uh, with that though, you know, I think that that's a very interesting thing to look into, you know, it's very interesting from a dealer's perspective, and I get it, you sit on the agency side of things, but let's talk about then advertising and you know what Subaru has done. I think I, I have something pulled up here, their new campaigns. I think something that Subaru's done very well is they've actually woven or interwoven their vehicle into an individual's lifestyle. So for example, they have three campaigns up here that I pulled up, it's where the heart is, the Moment of Silence campaign, and then an Easy Commute campaign. So mm-hmm. let's focus on the Easy Commute campaign. So it's about a Subaru Outback and the owner's daily commute. So they actually take an individual, lady's name is Sherry, and it follows her journey uh, in her Outback across mountains and years of you know time for more than five hundred thousand miles, tracing her journey to the students that depend on her most. So I guess she's a a teacher which I think is, that's great. I mean, the campaign idea about her daily commute is phenomenal. Uh, The other ones, as I mentioned, where the heart is, and then the moment of silence. Uh, The moment of silence is about their safety, and it's this powerful commercial reimagines the memory of a car accident from the point of view of a father's eyes, Uh, and then it talks about the family was protected by the dependable safety of a Subaru. And then uh, the last one, where the heart is, adventure starts in our national parks. So Subaru, the national, they're supporting the National Parks Foundation. Uh, it's an inspiring commercial. A young family takes a road trip through Arches National Park in the all-new 2020 Subaru Outback. So along the way, their Outback helps them introduce their son to the adventure that our national parks hold, and reminds us all while we must preserve the parks for generations to come. So do you think there's a power in interwoving or, or weaving it in with uh, with someone's lifestyle?
0: I think so. I mean, when you think of a, look, when I think of a Subaru, I think of, an active person. So if I'm an active and I, cause I think they're advertising their branding, their commercials sort of paint that picture. So if I'm somebody who goes hiking or likes to hoist a canoe up on the top of my car and put, drop it in the Housatonic river, or I'm the kind of person who likes to take my dog places with me. I, I think of, when I think of Subaru, I think of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're somebody who does those things, you might think of Subaru because Subaru I think has done a fantastic job as painting themselves as uh, you know, if this is what your life is like, we're the car that fits that. It's like back in the day when Saturn had the car with the third door and they always, you know, how Saturn had like the three door car. Yeah. Yeah. There was that side door and they had the commercial of the kid, like loading his trumpet into the car and they paint, they were trying to paint themselves as that, like, listen, if you have a car that you need to put a bunch of stuff in, our little handy third door is the way to do it. And now I had one of those cars and the third door was not that handy. Um, yeah. But I think they're trying to position themselves. At, so I think there's value to that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Very cool. And then I guess for dealers, because we always like to make these shows, you know, you get some actionable insight and some value from them. And if there are any dealers uh, listening out there, we would love for you to chime in at this moment in time. But I will tell you from our perspective, it's very interesting. So we do have, as I mentioned before, as you've mentioned, uh, Jeep Chrysler, Dodge Ram locations, a Ford location, and they're up in a market in New Jersey, northern New Jersey, Sussex, where it's very rural. But uh, there are a lot of Subaru owners in that market. Mm -hmm. And for us, we're always obviously looking to Conquest, Subaru owners to either come into you know a Ford vehicle right you have the Escape you have the Explorer you have an Edge which are all SUV vehicles or to our FCA products so you have Jeep you have a Jeep uh, you know Jeep Cherokee Jeep Grand Cherokee perhaps a Jeep Renegade they're all those similar types of vehicles right which is outdoorsy all-wheel drive you know kind of vehicle is it worth dealers going to battle? I will say with Subaru, a Subaru dealer. Do you think that that, I mean, from your advertising perspective, do you think that that would be a, uh, a waste of, of ad dollars to try to conquest those owners?
0: I do. When I'm in our conquest advertising at my group, we stayed away from that. Right. Uh, you know, the OEM would tell us, uh, you know, here's who's, here's who's essentially stealing your lunch in your market, right? It's, uh, Subaru, and uh, what was the other one? Subaru and Honda in the market that I was in. And the Toyota dealer, you know, wasn't a super active dealer. And while there's a lot of competition between Nissan and Toyota, we didn't really see it in our market. Um, but we didn't con- we didn't conquest the Subaru people. And the reason we didn't do it at our, manufa- at, our at, at our Nissan location was at the time we didn't have any all-wheel drive vehicles. Like what's your rebuttal gonna be? So they're advertising, okay, um, you know, and, and now the Altima is all-wheel drive, and I believe they're coming out with an all-wheel drive Sentra, or maybe it's a Maxima. They have another all-wheel drive they're going to roll out. All right, so maybe now you can direct a message at that at the person who's driving the Subaru equivalent to the Altima-sized vehicle, whatever that is. But we didn't because I, because I, you know from a from a um, drivetrain standpoint, we didn't have things anything to compete with them with the interior and the technology at the time of the Nissan's was greater than the Subarus. I believe the Subarus have kind of caught up now in that. And we found it easier to pick off um, deals from a uh, Honda, Toyota, uh, Hyundai and Kia dealers in our market than we did from Subaru. And, you know, as we all know, you're the marketing director of the group. I'm in an agency. You have to work twice as hard creative and budget wise to pull somebody out of a, another manufacturer to your manufacturer. And it just, I don't think at the, given our situation was worth uh, the ad dollars uh, at, at the time.
1: That's that's very interesting. And like I said, to anyone listening out there, dealers, advertisers, you know, if you have success stories of conquesting a brand that has a high level of brand loyalty, um, yet isn't often shopped, let's say crossed shop, mm-hmm. because you know, if we go back to those examples of Toyota, you know, being number two, although the, the people are brand loyal to that, I think there's a higher propensity of Toyotas being cross shopped with Honda and Nissan versus a Subaru being cross shopped with a Jeep or a a similar type of vehicle. Uh, Now, I don't know the facts on that one. So this could all be, you know, this is assumptions and, you know, hearsay, but the fact of the matter is, I would believe that in my heart of hearts that there's not that cross shopping uh, or as much cross shopping going on for those brands. Now, here's something while we we keep the conversation going about brand loyalty. So this JD power survey that released the same data that we just went over is saying that the research shows it's becoming increasingly difficult for automakers to court new buyers into a brand. So Mm -hmm. they're saying that with the programs now, especially with COVID-19 raging in different markets, That obviously OEMs have gotten super aggressive with their programs. Uh, You know, we had deferred payments for some time. Some manufacturers still have deferred payments. 0% APR for, you know, as much as 84 months at one point in time. I mean, seven years. That's absolutely crazy. Uh, Ford just released their uh, Ford Promise program. So if you buy or lease a vehicle and should you come on uh, hard times, you lose your job due to COVID, uh, you can return the vehicle for up to one year. So I think these are things that no one has really ever thought would happen. Um, and, and that's going to go away at some point in time. So what do you think, what implications does this have for dealers when they learn from JV Power, which is a trusted source, that it's going to become increasingly difficult for automakers you know, to court new buyers into their brands?
0: I mean, does that send dealers in? Does that sound dealers into, um, you know, cannibalizing? So now you're so now you're conquesting your own brand people. You know, if you're at a Honda dealership and you've got three other Honda dealerships, you know, within 20 miles of you or 30 miles of you, are though, are you battling extra hard now against each other in order to get some, uh, you know, bring new customers into your dealership because it's becoming increasingly difficult to uh, conquest you know, other manufacturers. I don't know. I mean, you know, you've seen the OEMs a lot recently and, you know, I probably saw this for, for me for the first time, you know, six or seven years ago, maybe even less, you know, conquest cash for people outside, you know, coming in outside of, uh, of your manufacturer. So if you're driving a... Ford. I'm making this example up, but if you're if you're driving a Chevy pickup truck and Ford comes out with a you know fifteen hundred dollars uh, conquest cash for somebody who you can take out of a Chevy, put them into a Ford, does it make sense for the Ford dealer to conquest the Chevy dealer? I don't know. I think a, I mean, it's hard to say. I think a lot of it could come from. You know, your situation, you know, your your budget, your advertising budget, what you know, what's mission critical. You gotta make sure you're taking care of the stuff you need to take care of before you you know, there's some things you wanna do before you start thinking about all the other things you wish you could do. Um, so I think it probably depends on the dealership or the manufacturer and you know, the part of the country that you're in. I don't know. It's a terrible answer, but
1: No, listen, I, I think this is worth the conversation. So what I think this, you know, implicates for dealers or implies for dealers. Did I just make up a word implicates? Yeah, that's, I think that's a word. I, not a word. Sorry about that, everyone. You can use it, though. It sounds good. Uh, what this implies for dealers is I think that they're going to have to focus more on. So here, this is very interesting. So let's talk about it. Right now, dealers on a tier three level. So at the dealership level, right, where I physically sit, there's other dealers in my position, obviously, all trying to sell cars, marketing on the tier three level. They are going after in market low funnel shoppers for their brands. Okay. Now, if those people were waiting for all of these people to essentially come to us, and yes, we do some advertising to bring people further and further down the funnel. What I think this implies, now that it's going to be harder to court individuals to other brands, is that we actually need to hit the customer further up the funnel where they're still considering multiple brands, Mm -hmm. right? And that is how, on our level, we are going to have to bring those people lower and lower and lower down the funnel until they convert at our dealership or on one of our brands. Now, I know tier one, that's their job, right? So on a national level, they're supposed to build the buzz around the brand. But that's saying that someone, in theory, is already considering you know an SUV whether it's a Jeep or something like that maybe they don't know you know what vehicle or type of SUV they want but then okay they get down to a tier two level with its regionalized incentives and then a tier three level with the dealership actually advertising would you think or would you agree that you know dealers might have to broaden their advertising and and maybe go after individuals that are higher up the funnel which is almost it's, it's contradictory to what we want to do, which is just spend money as efficiently as possible.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think... I think in the perfect world, dealers could do that. You know, I always call it transactional and relational, you know, advertising. And, you know, most dealers spend a lot of their marketing dollars at the transactional level, obviously lower funnel. People have already decided what brand they're going to buy. Maybe even they have a down to the model. They're trying to decide where they're going to buy because it takes more dollars to advertise at that higher funnel level because you're not targeting in on the person. Like you said, maybe that person doesn't know they're buying a Jeep yet. They're still in the consideration phase, so now instead of targeting your dollars, you know, most efficiently, you're kind of spreading that money out. And that's hard for some dealers to do. And, you know, at, at my group, we looked at it, at, you know, we were part of the um, part of the, uh, the the regional marketing committee. So we get to look at a lot of things from the tier two level is we talked a lot about to tier two about, you know, we want your advertising to be transactional the OEM tier one needs to worry about that stuff. You know, they need to worry about getting the person sold on the brand, you know, kicking them down the funnel one notch and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Um, But you know, if you're in a market where maybe tier one or tier two doesn't spend a lot of advertising dollars, then maybe it is up to you and you need to do that. But if you're in a market of that size, you probably don't have an enormous advertising budget anyway. And then you got to focus on the mission critical stuff It's, these are discussions and, you know, arguments and conundrums that dealers have probably been having for long before you and I were in the automotive industry. Uh, I don't know. I mean, a lot of it, listen, if you had, if you had a hundred thousand dollars a month to spend per store, you could accomplish everything you wanted to accomplish. Um, And that number varies from, you know, wherever a store is located, but you know, none of, nobody has unlimited funds. So it becomes kind of trying to narrow down what you have to do. Um, I don't know. In a perfect world, I would have loved the opportunity to be at a group where we could have done all that because I think you could make a real effect on the market and your, um, your market share and, you know, the dealer brand loyalty, dealership loyalty in your market. <sighs> I don't know. I
1: think. Yeah. I mean, just to continue the conversation and for anyone listening out there i always like the preface statements with this this is not saying go out and spend your money all willy-nilly that's that's right. not what we're trying to do at all like matt said you want to take care of the mission critical items right so you still want to go after those low funnel in market shoppers you can't abandon that but it makes you think when you have sources like jd power talking about how automakers are going to be finding it hard to court buyers from other brands. It is almost like one of those things where you say to yourself, well, does this mean my dealership needs to step up to try to convert those buyers? Because what what that means to me down the line, and this could be years and years down the line, but all right, if, if let's say hypothetically Chrysler says, you know, oh, we can't get these people. It's too hard to court them. Well, by the time they get down from that tier one level to the tier two level, to what's at the Tier 3 level for dealers, that means it's going to be less people, right? You would just think that as the funnel gets further and further down, it's less and less people. Now, it would be great if we represent or whoever, you know, you work for as a dealer or run a store as a dealer represents a brand that's thriving, that's taking all of these customers, and I think that that's the goal for every manufacturer, but it does. It's very interesting, and I think dealers need to be on their toes, and they need to really think about... Okay, you know how am I going to spend my ad dollars one efficiently? But what happens if I think that you know in my market there's not as much opportunity for these buyers, but I can conquest other buyers to right. come and buy my my brand?
0: You know, I think you make a point about it coming from the top too. If the OEM provides the uh, the incentives or the the hook for the conquesting. And that trickles down to tier two and tier three. And maybe they help uh, the tier three level, whether it's uh, a program or some kind of, you know, advertising rebate or some, you know, some dollars to help with that. Um Then, you know, maybe the tier three, maybe the us dealers are in a position to do that. Um, But, you know, have the OEM say, hey, this is a thing, get it done. In a lot of situations, a dealer will, will say, well, that's not you know, that's maybe that's your thing, but that's not my thing. You know, I, I'm worried about, you know, retaining my customers and, you know, taking care of the customers who are deferring to another, you know, another dealership in the same OEM in my market. You know, I can't worry about that. You got to worry about that. Right. Yeah.
1: It's very interesting. I mean, you know, if we could move on then from yes, that. Let's do it. And I guess it'll always be an ongoing conversation, but here's something that let's just on the same realm of brand loyalty and you can keep this up too. But so Jaguar, I mean, what do you think this implies for Jaguar? And then we'll get into those awesome looking things at, yeah. at the top. I there jumped the there. That we're um, But so Jaguar as, as the lowest ranked brand loyal vehicle in the luxury segment, what do you think that that means for Jaguar? I mean, I have here, do you wake up and try to get those people coming back to your brand or are you just content with saying, all right, they're not going to come back to us.
0: I'm surprised. I wonder their people are deferring to. Maserati?
1: Uh, that would be really interesting to find out as well. So I have two things I want to get for you, which is the Subaru data, if that's the same throughout each region of the United States in terms of the loyalty. And then the last thing would be looking at where Jaguar customers would go to.
0: Do you want me to assign you an Asana task for that or send you an email with your homework, or are you going to remember?
1: You can can Slack me. I'll (laughs) Slack you, yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, it'd be interesting, too, to um, see what if the other manufacturers know, okay, we're, we're getting all these people from Jaguar or we're winning all these customers. We're not even trying, but we're winning all these customers. So if you can get in on, you can get, get on that. I would, uh, I'd appreciate it.
1: You got it. I'll see what I can do. Let's show this picture
0: again to everybody who's, uh, who's watching live. This is fantastic. If you haven't seen this story, there's a hard seltzer brand called crook and marker. Right, And they posted on social media, which I'm showing here on our screen, what was kind of a joke, an idea that came up in a a brainstorming session, kind of a joke, which is a mask that you can drink through. So for those listening on the podcast version, it's a mask that has a hole in it that you can stick a straw through and drink uh, a beverage. So I don't know if anybody's been going out to uh, restaurants or eating. You know, I've been going out and eating uh, outside at restaurants and have outdoor seating. You wear your mask, you sit down, you order, and then the food comes or your appetizers come and you take your mask off and you eat. But what, ha- what happens before the meal? They bring you your, your drink, you know, usually a cocktail. If it's lunchtime, that's okay. You can still have a cocktail, no problem. Unless my boss is listening, in which case I wait till 530. Um, so if you could drink through your mask, that'd be a great idea, right? So this company uh, crook and marker, uh, had this kind of joke idea for a mask that has a, a, a hole in it. And they posted it on their social media accounts and people went bananas for it. People loved it. And like most good ideas, sometimes it comes from an idea that you kind of think is a throwaway idea. So they thought, well, maybe there's something to it. They got, uh, all kinds of comments and, and posts and reshares on their Instagram page. And the, uh, the uh, CMO of the company, Daniel Goodfellow, what a great last name,
1: it is a good last name. <laughs> said we should
0: we should totally do this. Right. So they went into the development phase where they tried to come up with, well, how are we going to make the hole close? Right. You can't have it open. That defeats the purpose of wearing the mask here in the covid world. So yeah. they tried out all kinds of things, you know, a zipper. That doesn't seem like a very good idea. Getting your lip stuck in a zipper sounds like it would hurt. You know, ties. They tried it all out, and they settled on the button flap that opens up. You stick the straw in there, and then you close the button flap, uh, and you're good to go. So they uh, they expedited it. They put it together. They manufactured it, and they got it out, and apparently it's been uh, it's been doing pretty well. Uh, it's $14.99, a mask, and they sold out their initial uh, batch that they made in 24 hours. And they say their website traffic during the July 4th weekend was up 200% year over year. And if you're looking at it right now on uh, our Friday morning's live video, you can, get a, you can get a look at it. The one on the, uh, I think it might be the left if you're watching, but it's on my right. Uh, looks pretty good. It's kind of black and gray, kind of like a, uh, like, looks like a maze. I kind of like that. That being said, I do not drink hard seltzer or anything out of a can with a straw. So I don't know. That's, a, but like, if you're drinking, if you were if you're at a, 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 a restaurant, and you're drinking a, a cocktail through a straw, which I don't really do. That's uh that's a way to do it. So uh, what do you think about it? And would you get one Colin?
1: Yeah. So listen, I thought this is really, really creative from crooked marker. And I think, you know, I will say this, it's okay if you drink through a straw. I know, Matt, you're a very macho, macho man. I am not. Man, and so you can't drink through a straw, but I drink drinks through a straw and I still consider myself pretty macho, pretty manly, uh, although I do have my moments. But I will tell you, I think the demographic that Crook and Marker was going after, right? So I'm going to bring up my girlfriend right now. My yeah. girlfriend always drinks things with a straw she has a uh oh my goodness one of those it's not it's a yeti yeah like a yeti water canister yeah yeah okay you unscrew the top of her yeti canister and she has a straw in there and she drinks her water from her yeti canister with with the straw uh any sort of coffee i believe even hot coffee there's girls that i know that drink it with a straw that's not right so i there's, but there's something about the straw. People like the straw. It's almost like very, very Jerry Seinfeld. What's with the straw? I'm, I don't want you uh, to think
0: I'm not anti-straw. I'm just, if I'm drinking a, an adult beverage, I like the, the feeling of a, like a sturdy cup with a couple of cubes of ice in it. You know, it, it's, I'm not anti-straw. I don't make it sound like I don't like straw. I'll drink Starbucks out of a straw. It comes with a straw. Go. You're driving. You need a straw. If I'm driving, I have a straw.
1: Okay. All right. Well, now that that's settled, I think what we look at now is the whole movement that I will call the mask movement. So this thing is called the taste mask. Uh, Once again, by Crook and Marker, I think it's a really great idea. Matt, you had mentioned their engagement on social media. The first post that they had uh, made about the mask, it's kind of a revolve, not a revolving post, but it showed different photos of the different masks. Had 31,000 views and 140 comments. I mean, it's colorful, it's fun, it catches attention. I know I'm a guy, I take my fashion very seriously. I would love a mask that has these awesome patterns that I can mix and match with different outfits, things like that. Um, And the best part is that all the proceeds, so when you purchase this $14.99 mask, all the proceeds get donated to the USBG bartender assistance program. So we know right now with restaurants being closed or limited to outdoor dining, uh, some just doing curbside uh, takeout or delivery that bartenders and bars in that matter have really not fully opened back up. So they've fallen on hard times, probably one of the industries that's been hit the hardest, uh, throughout this whole COVID-19 debacle. Um, Including the wedding industry, I think that they've been you know pretty beat up at this point in time. But with this, that's an awesome way to one build PR, uh, a positive brand image around this company, you know Crooked Marker, which is a fairly new company, I believe. It's based out of New Jersey, which is great, so it's in my neck of the woods. Um, but they did this, and it took off. And I think you also see other brands. For example, I'm a, I'm a big Lacoste guy. I uh, was talking to you as an aside the other day, and Lacoste had come out with uh, masks, you know, three different matte colors, red, white, and blue. It was for Fourth of July, and one of them had a, it was a blue mask with a red, white, and blue, uh, you know, crocodile on there, and with that, they sold out. I think it was in a matter of minutes, honestly, of these limited masks that they had made. Nike, Adidas, they're all jumping on the mask train, Um, so this makes you think though, if we look at it from an automotive perspective, I mean, is it beneficial for dealerships to come up with something like that, where they give a mask with every purchase or someone brands their own mask at the dealership? What do you think that could mean for, for dealers?
0: I was talking to a dude who owns an agency in Canada land, which is, if you look at a map is up on a map and he, he ordered, um, you know, thousands of masks from a distributor that he found. And he was going to all his dealership clients and dropping off hundreds of masks for them to give out to customers. So a customer would show up and even if they had a mask, they would say, hey, listen, we know that, you know, you you throw these masks away after wearing them a couple of times or you need to wash your cloth masks. Here's a couple other masks for you. And he was telling me that one of the dealers that he works with was uh, hanging masks. You know how, like sometimes, manufacturer will send you like little hang tags. You can put on the you can put on the um, the mirror. Uh, of the vehicles. The, the, the dealer that he was delivering these masks to was hanging two masks on every mirror of every car in their inventory, which I thought was cool because if you're driving around now, you see that now, right? Masks are like the new fuzzy dice. People have yeah. all the masks hanging from their mirrors, which I don't think is all that safe really, honestly. But I think it's a good idea. Why not? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of stores in my area, retail stores, where they give, they give you masks or pass out gloves or take your temperature at the door or whatever it is. I think it's a good idea. You can't be like, hey, you have to wear a mask to come in here. Oh, you don't have one? Get the heck out. Like you, you If you provide a bunch at the door, I think that's great. If you give it away when someone comes into the showroom, I think that's great, too. Are you doing yeah. that at your stores, Colin?
1: So we have masks. Uh, we do in New Jersey. It's mandatory for us to be open that we do require individuals to wear masks uh, when they enter the dealership. And listen, it's a tumultuous Uh, time and sometimes that does not work out in our favor obviously if there are some underlying health issues or conditions we understand and we're not gonna you know say hey you can't come in but we have had instances I will tell you it's been really crazy with individuals uh, we're getting a lot of backlash on social media um, you know because we've made people wear masks so it is it's interesting I mean you said there what a time to be alive that's what I keep saying honestly just in my daily life what a time to be alive. But I think you had brought up a really good point, and I'm glad we're talking about it. If we're if we're talking about you know being unique in your market, if you're a dealer and you're listening, I mean, what better way to take advantage of this situation than to provide perhaps a branded mask to you know a, a customer if they come in, or whether it's with every purchase, or you know just when they're interacting with you. I don't think people really think about this, and this is not my idea. I actually saw this. Uh, on one of the bowels of the internet right social media whatever it was but literally if you think about this guys you have this mask that if you look at the pictures that are up here are covering basically all the way up to your eyeballs and then covering your mouth and around that what a great spot to yeah. advertise something I mean you are looking at a person dead in the eye when you're talking to them and now if they have some sort of branding over their face there uh, that's pretty powerful so I think it's these creative things that keep us coming back for more and why I love talking with Matt because you see a company has done something that's, you know, taken off, that's gone viral. I definitely think you have the potential from a dealership perspective to do something just like that, get a little creative, you know, build some positive uh, image around uh, the dealership by, by taking safety precautions, by providing these masks that are branded, have fun with it. Um, you know, I think that that's definitely something obviously within the law, you can't steal some logos and whatnot. I think there's some legal issues with that, but you know, get creative and, uh, see what you can do. with it.
0: I believe, uh, NASCAR, who, as you know, is all about uh, uh, you know, logos. They put a logo anywhere that's flat. They find a way to put a logo on it. You know, and, I, and, you know, a driver gets out of a... In a past life, I had a NASCAR talk show. So even though I'm, like, not a huge NASCAR fan, I know, like, an inor- inordinately...
1: Yes, that's, that's the word.
0: Amount of things about NASCAR, especially marketing and advertising and branding part of it. They can put a logo on anything, you know, from the driver getting out of the car to putting his, you know, used to be you got out of a car and it was like a crazy celebration. Now it's you get out and it's well orchestrated. Your PR person hands you the hat you're supposed to wear. They hand you the drink you're supposed to have. They hand you they they slide a thing in front of you. That's a stand-in of the logo that sponsors you. I mean, it's like an orchestrated Thing that's generating money. It's not about the spontaneity of I won. I won the race. Um, so I, I found a picture of uh, Kyle Busch, who is a, uh, a, a a villain in the NASCAR world, and he's got M and M's on his. Who's his sponsor on his uh, mask? But you know, you see all the major sports teams, right? I mean. You know, I was trying to, in the beginning of this whole thing, find the mask that was most comfortable for me, You try and find one that you can deal with and wear all the time. And my first thought was, oh, let me see if the Patriots and the Mets have masks. And of course they do. And they're for sale and they're expensive on their website. Um, but from a car dealership standpoint, why not? I mean, we used to do, one of my groups, we would get, um, this is not branding, but we would buy, we would order special plate frames for the holiday, for um not holidays for uh, charities. We get like pink plate frames for breast cancer awareness month in October. We would buy red uh, plate frames for um, heart disease month, maybe. Um, So I think that's a good idea for dealers for dealers to do. Um, Somebody might wear it, right? I mean, people, people people would wear it from their favorite brand for sure. I would wear a Mets one tomorrow.
1: And I think that's the thing, you know, we don't realize how, First of all, you give out. I mean, let's look at some, some things that have been given out in history at dealerships. You give out keychains. You right. give out coffee mugs. You know, yeah, coffee mugs, uh, phone holders, maybe some, some sort of gear. Um, and as long as it has the brand on it, people most likely will wear it. We know that there is a loyal following amongst a lot of the brands. Once again, like I said, there's got to be, you got to watch about some legality issues by taking logos and self-imposing or superimposing logos on something that's essentially not from the manufacturer but I mean you get use from a mask like you said the mask is the new fuzzy dice hanging from you know the middle of your 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 rear view mirror but I think it's also one of those things that's like when you forget your keys you know you run out the house and you're saying oh expletive I forgot my mask yeah so I whether this is the person's in car mask, you know, or they need to make a quick run to the store. So they throw on a mask or whatever it is. There's definitely an opportunity for dealers uh, who can get creative to, to put some branding on a mask, I would believe. And and that all ties it together. So
0: Colin, I think we're out of time. We we both have some dealerships to market, man. We got to get to some marketing.
1: Well, it's always a pleasure and I appreciate you having me on. Um, It's always fun.
0: Cool. All right, Colin, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Matt. Bye.
0: See you, everyone. See ya. There you go. Uh, Colin's actually not going to be gone for very long because uh, next podcast episode of Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson comes out on Tuesday. Colin and I talked to Josie Vaccaro, who is who uh, works at BMW in Newmarket, and she is killing it on TikTok. I'm on a quest to find out what is going on with TikTok. And is uh, can it be utilized beneficially for dealers? She's got over 20,000 followers on the uh, TikTok account for her BMW store. Josie Vaccaro, BMW of Newmarket. They are in Canada land. And on Tuesday, we'll have uh, an episode that we recorded with her talking all about uh, what they did, how they got their followers. It'll be super educational for, for dealers who are... Uh, involved in social media heavily. So I encourage you to check that out. That'll be out on Tuesday on all the places that you can get your podcast, Google, Apple, Frackle, wherever people get podcasts, Spotify. So uh, check them out. Listen, I appreciate it. Friday Mornings Live, presented by Silverback Advertising, mostly automotive marketing, with Matt Wilson. Thanks to Colin for joining me. Thanks to everybody who listened in. We really appreciate it. And uh, next podcast coming out on Tuesday, another live episode coming out next Friday at 10.30 a.m. Thanks for listening. Baseball starts today. Let's go Mets. Mostly automotive marketing with Matt Wilson is brought to you by...